Welcome back to The Latecomers. I'm Amity. And I'm Lemuel. And this week, we get gross. It's the first time we've gotten gross. I think it's the first time we've gotten really gross. This is it's a pretty gross movie. We watched 1989's Graveyard Shift, based on the short story of the same name, originally published in Cavalier Magazine, uh, and later collected into the 1978 collection Night Shift. Before we get started on our infestation, how was your week? My week was interesting. It was climaxed by the most strenuous hike I've been on so far. And it was um, an endurance test, which tells me I should hike more. I would offer, Uh and audience, tell me if you agree with me, but I'm pretty sure I'm right. If a hike involves climbing up a thing in using a rope or other mechanism where you have to pull yourself hand over hand up a face of a thing, we've left hiking behind and we are now into mountain climbing. I There was a point when this is a really lovely uh, park behind uh, Saratoga in California, which, uh, and also besides a large park named, ironically enough, Castle Rock. That's right, yes. And there are three waterfalls there, one of which is small and the other two of which are enormous. One is about five stories high. And you only reach this waterfall by hiking about two and a half or three hours. But once again, hiking is walking. Well, right. And so it was up that point, up and down, up and down. It's considered very strenuous. But you have to go behind the waterfall mm-hmm. uh, to continue the hike. And the hike at that point is so steep, there's a steel cable wrapped in a vinyl or plastic that's attached to the rock surface so that you can climb up there. Because it's not only uh, very um, treacherous, it's also wet. Once again, we've left hiking behind. This is adventure hiking, this like is... adventure playgrounds where you have boards oh, with nails yes, in them. Boards with nails in them. Oh, if you if you all have not seen the Seven Up series, first of all, it's a very interesting series of documentaries. But second, what watching these kids in what London terms an adventure playground, which was literally just like an, an abandoned construction site, <laughs> we coddle our children these days. Well, I've discovered that there's an adventure playground not far from us in the Berkeley Marina. And that for, I believe it's $10 a day or 15 if it's unsupervised, you can actually abandon your child there for several hours. But there is adult supervision there to help them construct things. Oh, okay. So but not, it's not just boards with nails and it's no, there are like boards tetanus, and there are nails. But they're not just a pile of that yeah. and then let your kids no, run around. Here, the adventure playground in the. Uh, documentary seems to just be kids running wild and hitting each other with nails and boards in them. Um, the adventure playground that I visited has at least two adult supervisors all the time to make sure that kids are not hammering each other's right, fingers. Right, but they're actually doing crafts and they're, things. They're building, they're constructing the playground itself, which oh, is the neat part. Oh, that is cool. However, I think the That's adults are there not... to make sure that it's constructed safely so well, that yes. nobody steps on it and falls through uh, office. Yeah, and I, I have to assume that one of them at least is a contractor because I'm pretty sure mm-hmm. that nothing is going to get permitted as a playground that right. was built by children. <laughs> We're not there yet, or again... 
depending on <laughs> which it, direction we're give, going. Uh, give it a few years. We actually have governments run by children right now. So, bop, bop. yes. All right, you want to get into this? That was a dig. So, what, wait, wait, what was your week like? Uh, it wasn't that. I didn't All like. Right. He, he didn't I'm it. mostly melting. There's yes, a lot of melting it's happening. Very, very, very hot. We're trying to bank a few episodes. Mm-hmm. We'll peek behind the curtain because I'm going out of town for Labor Day weekend. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're recording on an off day. Uh, an episode drops tomorrow, and it's not the episode that we're talking in, in, into the microphone right now. No. Breathing life into. Uh, but I've just been editing and uh, trying not to die in the heat. It's very yes. warm here in California. And yes, I am a baby because it is only like 90 degrees. Global warming is for real. Well, yeah, we knew that. I don't need it to be hot for me to know that. So, now do you want to get into the movie? My yes, life I is boring. Yes, I want to get into the movie. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it's safe. There was a moment holding onto this cable yeah. where I'm looking four stories behind me going, this is not a good idea. No, bad idea. This is, yeah, this it's is a really bad idea. Home. And I'm actually having trouble walking now because... The yeah. hours afterwards have Normally really... you walk home from work, but I've been picking you up yeah. all week. And it's I was not prepared for this at all. I was not. I did not take the right shoes. I did not take the right clothing. So, yes, I'm going to have to be make wiser decisions in the future. And speaking of wiser decisions... Don't go into the basement. Um, yes, and don't... Um, look for... A, a, make better choices about employment. I think that's what the well, message of this film is. Yeah. I watch a lot of things, and I just think, mm-hmm. hey, people, OSHA. But also, I don't know that OSHA was a thing when the story was written. Also, I hear stories about uh, those people who work in airports mm-hmm. and were like didn't get breaks and had to pee into right. water jugs and stuff. And that's happening now. And I don't... I don't understand how that I works. I don't understand it's like we're not how you don't... Anymore. Yeah, ring every bell Mm -hmm. there is to ring, because there are bells to ring, but I guess people aren't told that when their employers are abusers. We currently know of an employer who has OSHA regulations that are many years old, taped to the inside of the bathroom door, and they're so sun-faded, they're barely legible. Um, It's a secret. There was a job I worked before where uh, I actually got frostbite uh, at the job, because I was unpacking things from these ice buckets, and I was told I couldn't use gloves because that would take too much time. I had to work faster. And I quit at the end of that shift yeah. under your encouragement. We are privileged to be able to do that, but right. also... There are some people who aren't. More people need to be able to speak up because these... If this is what your work place requires, like if this is what your business model requires, mm-hmm. then you should go out of business. Right. This is how I feel. I am all about people starting businesses and employing people. But if your business model relies on either underemployment or a lack of an ability to pay a living wage, then your business model isn't. Stinks. It's not good and it shouldn't continue. So in this movie... This movie? We have a quintessential bad boss... And a very gross monster. And a very gross workplace. I'd like to correct a mistake I made. I forgot this is not the film I thought it was. Oh, okay. So this is not a Carl Rambaldi monster. It's very good. And this is not a Dino De Laurentiis film. I mentioned that last week. It's not. Yes. So let's start with... Jason Reed? No. Okay. 
Let's start with the director and the writer. All right. The director of this movie is Ralph S. Singleton. You might know him as the director of no other films. <laughs> he did pity. direct two episodes of Cagney and Lacey, but his IMDb lists him as a production manager and producer. Mm-hmm. This is the only uh, full-length film that he ever directed. Uh, but he has worked on a number of other productions, so he he's a film person, but not, right, not a director. A director. John Esposito is the writer of this and has continued to write in the horror genre since. Okay. Write and produce. He wrote on the Masters of Horror uh, series, The Walking Dead webisodes, and he's working on an episode of the new Creep Show. Okay. So he has continued in that vein. He is also a producer. So these two, but these two people are of of small note, I would say, okay. uh, in in the grand scheme of the names that we've had associated with Stephen King properties. Now, let me give you the one-line one overview of the story, and right. then I want to tell you what happens in the short story, because it's pretty different yes, than Yes, I read the short story. It's actually really good, but or uh, really good for what it is, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, the one-sentence... Synopsis. Synopsis. Okay. All right, explain this to me like I'm a two-year-old, okay? Because there's an element to this thing. I just cannot get through my thick head. In a very old textile mill with a serious rat infestation, the workers discover a horrifying secret deep in the basement. Which is accurate. That is what happens. Now, the short story, originally published in 1970, um, details a young drifter, working at a decrepit mill and they're cleaning out the basement that's been abandoned for decades. These are all the same plot points we will discuss shortly. What he finds when he goes downstairs, oh, let's discuss Warwick for one second. Now, are we discussing the film now? Or are we We're going to discuss the character uh-huh. in the film and the name because I am not going to say Warwick anymore. All right. The character in the film, he's the only person who is putting on a main accent. It's not good. And he pronounces Warwick as Warwick. In Maine and Massachusetts and any of New England and England itself, mm-hmm. the name W-A-R-W-I-C-K is not pronounced Warwick. <laughs> it is pronounced Warwick, as in W-A-R-R-I-K or I-C-K. Mm-hmm. Uh, the star of such great features as Willow and several things in Harry Potter, Warwick Davis. It's not Warwick Davis, it's Warwick Davis. So we have him with this very put-upon main accent that is not a main accent, pronouncing Warwick repeatedly, because he does say his own name a lot. Uh... It's hurt my heart. Okay. I'm sorry. His name is Warwick. Warwick. Okay. So I'm going to pr- refer to him as Warwick. Warwick in the in the short story Warwick and the our drifter Hall his name John. I think they have all have very basic John boring Hall? names. I think his name is John Hall. Oh, that's silly. Uh and they go down first 
Into this basement. Into the basement. Now, does it have the same setup? He's there. He's desperate it, for cash. I don't know. It doesn't okay. matter. They're, he's on the cleanup crew. Mm-hmm. They find a rat empire cut off from the rest of nature, allowing the animals to evolve a varied combination of creatures complete with a self-sustaining ecosystem. There are large armored rats, albino and weasel-like rats that can climb up walls or burrow through the ground, and bat-like rats that have evolved to pterodactyl-like sizes. They eventually come across the sub-basement, wherein, and Warwick basically forces Hall to go down and investigate it, where he comes upon, this is coming from Wikipedia's uh, synopsis of the story, a cow cow-calf-sized queen rat with no eyes or legs whose only purpose is to endlessly breed more rats. They uh, spray... Warwick ends up getting devoured by her... Offspring? Nope. The queen devours Warwick. Okay. Hall makes his way towards the exit while spraying the rats with the water hose. But he's overwhelmed and eaten alive by the hordes of rats. Meanwhile, the other people on the cleaning crew don't know what they're getting into and they're getting they're suiting up to come downstairs. So they're all going to die too. But that's where the story ends. So that's what happens in the short story. They basically mushed all of those mutated rats, the idea of those multiple mutated rats, into one giant rat creature and then we get a bunch of other regular plain rats which i think are pretty cute actually when they're not biting you right uh in the movie itself they don't there isn't a hierarchy there isn't multitudes of different monsters there's one big monster that is very moist and whom you only see little pieces of for the most part during most of the film for the best and then Hundreds, thousands of rats, so many little rat actors in this movie. Uh, Yes, so let's talk about the plot of the film. Now, yes, the main character's name is John Hall. He's a... Which is the name of a a 40s and 50s, but mostly 40s, uh, athletic actor who did lots of... Oh, really? Romantic South Seas movies. I, Which is why it struck me like, wow, that's a weird choice. The names never stuck in my head. Mm-hmm. Um, and I will be honest, John Hall is played by David Andrews, who is an actor who's been in hundreds of things that I've seen. David and, Andrews? Yeah. David Andrews is our protagonist. Mm-hmm. And I recognize him not at all. I don't know if he's just the m- most white man-looking white man that I've ever seen. I recognize him as a guy who doesn't blink a lot. He's been in so much stuff, including The Boys, which I just finished watching on Amazon. And you don't remember him at all? Nope. Wow, he, I remember him... But he's been on, like, every television show he's I've a, ever seen. a very short-lived science fiction show called Man and Machine. We played a detective with a robot partner. That was one that my nephew was into when it was on TV, and then it, I think it... We got canceled after two or three episodes. It was pretty. Uh, didn't have a very long run. 
Doesn't but sound good. That was the only time that I... Um, he was on a bunch of JAG episodes, which right. was a show I didn't watch. The only time I ever recognized him. Well, I started to recognize him rather after that. And then it's like, oh, it's that guy. That guy who doesn't blink. Oh, man, double N, because he played Detective Bobby Mann. Yeah, whoa. Woof. Okay, 1992, I see you. Uh and that was right about the time that this movie was made, mm-hmm. so he looked similar. Now, he's had a long and varied career, like yeah. I said, and was in Fight Club, for instance, but I have no recollection of him. Was he in um, Kings of New York? Oh. I wonder if he's... When did that movie come out? I'm just scrolling through. Right. Oh, he was in The Rainmaker. I like that movie so yeah, much. it's a really good movie. Yeah, I, I only remember him. He's one of these... Uh, there's a lot of familiar actors in this movie. Um, and I'll, I guess when we get to Warwick, we can talk about that guy because I saw him, it felt like every week on television when I was a kid. I kept referring to people as not so-and-so because mm-hmm. they were like the knockoff actor that you would get when you couldn't afford right. so-and-so. The poor man's so-and-so. Yes. Um, so he was good. He was, mm-hmm. he, it wasn't, there was nothing wrong with him, but he, all of the characters in this movie just sort of blended into one it was okay. That's not true. Mm-hmm. We had our protagonist. We have the girl. Mm-hmm. We have Warwick, the bad boss. Uh, we've got Brogan, who's the adult. Mm-hmm. We've got the exterminator, Tucker Cleveland. Who's Tucker Cleveland? As the exterminator. Oh, did he have a name? Yeah. How do you know that? He's credited as the exterminator in IMDb. Is it in the Wikipedia thing? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and that's Brad Dorf. Knock off no one. Right. He is. Well, he there might is a, be. a niche that is occupied by Brad Dorf, uh, Sam Rockwell, and the other guy. Mr. You know, stretchy hands from the X Files. His name escapes me. Oh, just, uh, God. Yeah. Um, um, and those three guys occupy. Um, yeah, that guy that married the 16-year-old. Skinny, weird Caucasian guy. That's basically his uh, job. I would, I would say that they are of a tier, and then above them, the tier above them is Buscemi. <laughs> they are by no means the poor man's Buscemi, but I would say that if you've got a budget, mm-hmm. you hire Buscemi. <laughs> uh, Brad Dorf is awesome. He's also... I would say least likely to be named Brad. The name Brad is w- one thing, and Brad Dorf is the opposite of that thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, Brad Dorf is one of those actors who never, never, ever dials in a performance. He is always a hundred percent, no matter how weird you're, what you're asking him to do. I have never seen him, and apparently his daughter. Crispin Glover. He's uh-huh. another... Crispin right. Glover is of a same... I was recently watching um, a television... There's a new television program with uh, with uh, William Shatner as the host. Yes. And all he's supposed to do is host this program. There's nothing particular he's supposed to do in terms of... Just of read it. the words on the pop- prompter, please, sir. And the person watching it with me was like, well, he never phones it in. I said, that was never his problem. No. <laughs> Dialing it up to 11 is his you problem. You need to dial it down. And I need you at a 7 and Brad you are at a 12. Dorf plays a Vietnam vet who has a terror and hatred of rats because of methods of torture done by the Viet Cong to yeah. people in his um, 
during the war. And he gives this grisly narration yeah. of having seen one of these. And he throws himself into a sweating, tear-rolling, gasping, spitting fury describing this. And it's so over the top. And while he's giving the speech, there mm -hmm. are four dozen rats in the room with him. Right. <laughs> like, that's the thing. Okay, so, well, let's, let's do the, let's try and, let's try and go through. Y'all, there's not a lot to this movie. Right. There really isn't. But I have to say, I liked, as much as they were ciphers most of the time, I kind of liked, the actors really did a good job with fleshing out some of the characters. They did. Although I wish... On day one, they could have gone accents, no accents, mm -hmm. and then everybody would have been on the same page because right. they were not. So, um, Jason Reed, a man you will hear very little of, mm -hmm. but let's start. Jason Reed, working graveyard shift at a textile mill, recently reopened. He is surrounded by rats, and these rats are the most well-trained animals I've ever seen on film. They line up in rows and just watch him like he's giving a performance at a Greek theater and they are the audience. It's wild. Everywhere there's a surface for a line of rats to mm -hmm. just line up and look at him, there they line up and look at him. And they it's, don't do much. They just sort of stare at no, you. No, they're just it. like, what's up? And he tries to throw, or he throws one of them into... Um, it says here it's a cotton picker. Now, right. um, it's a some sort of uh, device that separates the the um, fibers, right? That the the raw fibers that they're getting. Now, we were looking at it and it looked to me like wool rather mm -hmm. than cotton, but I am not a skilled person to know these things. But it looked more. It looked fluffy to me. It it was fluffy, but it also looked more greasy. Than I would think cotton would look. Greasy is the watchword of this film. Like, I want to say, yes, that's true. I want to say organic, but mm -hmm. cotton is, of course, or an organic, organic thing. Right. But that is sort of the word that I kind of, I think about. It looks like it came off of a moving animal rather than an unmoving plant. Um, but I could be wrong. It could be cotton. We don't know. And it's never specified. So he throws one rat into the cotton picker. Now, this is white cotton, and he has thrown an animal into a thing with many teeth. That is right. going to destroy all that cotton. I, uh, it seems a bad idea. A wrong choice. Yes. And the rats don't leave. Reed prepares to throw another one in when he is attacked by a large unseen creature, uh, which has a voice, but no, like, it doesn't talk, but mm -hmm. it, like, makes noise. And Frank Welker, apparently, is the voice of this Really? Thing. Yeah. That's a guy. Uh, and it pushes him into the cotton picker where he is torn apart. Now, everybody seems to think that he just disappeared. So that cotton picker is... Very thorough. Very thorough. Also, there's no way it's a cotton picker. I'm sorry, I'm going to open this... <sighs> No, go ahead. No, no, no. Yeah, no, it's a like it's going to be a rabbit hole, though. No, 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 I'm not. I'm right. The, the, it's not a cotton picker because a cotton picker is a thing that's in the field picking cotton. Mm. Like it's a big machine right. that's outside. This thing is inside the mill, so that's not what it is. But it does have a lot of teeth, mm -hmm. and it is what is referred to as like the heart of the mill. Like right. the thing, stuff has to get through this machine to go anywhere else in the mill and have anything else happen to it. So then we meet our drifter. John Hall. 
He is. Uh, he's not John Hall here. He has a. He's a different. Somebody changed that silly, silly name. No, his name is John Hall. Is it? Yes. Okay, I thought that was different. All right, this makes sense. He only is called Hall in the book. I don't know if he's got a first name. In right. the movie, his name is John Hall. Okay. Okay. Uh, he's hired by the sadistic mill, mill foreman, Warwick. Now, Warwick is played by Stephen Macht, a person you recognize, but I did not. Mm-hmm. He looked to me like he could play Fred... Ward. Ward's dad, because he's right. older than Fred Ward would be at the same age. But he really, every time he was on screen, I was like, that's Fred Ward, right? No, it's not. No, it's not. not. So who is this? This is an actor who was everywhere, and I don't think that there really is a character that you can say he defined this one. He was just a perennial guest on television shows all through the 70s and 80s. And he's, he was a big, good-looking guy. And um, and so he played a lot of sort of active action parts, soldiers and, you know, uh, businessmen and cops and things like that. Okay. But he was around everywhere. So. And he's a real actor. So I don't understand the choices that got made for him in this. Let me explain something to you about how I felt about this film. I want to mention very briefly a couple of names that you should think about with this movie. Okay. Gary Weisner. Maine Burke, Jack Jennings, and George Nelson. Okay, you've listed a bunch of people I don't know. So These are the production crew, the art director, the production designer. Those people did a bang-up job in this movie. Everything in it looks dirty, yes. filthy, ground. They really are what you remember when you're finished with this movie. It feels to me like they found a mill. It, I, I, hope, I, I don't know, because it really, whatever they did, it's utterly convincing. This looks like the filthiest, dirtiest place yeah, you've never worked. Yeah, it's gross. Except mm-hmm. the rats are very clean yes. and orderly. The, now, if the movie, <laughs> if the set is so filthy looking that the rats look clean, that says something about uh, yeah, the you people might be who the art direction. But it, they, this, the mill itself becomes a character because it is really grungy and dirty. And it reminds me of the work that was done in Salem's Lot on that house, the Marsden house where it was so filthy and covered with fungal growths and things that it, it, it was, like, startling. And I really think that they did the best job in the film. Other than that, my issue with this film is, and as we go into the plot, we'll discuss it a, a couple of times, this is one of those overripe dramatic pieces where periodically people go mad for no particular reason. And Stephen Mock's Warwick character near the end of the film just goes yeah he bonkers. goes full like Kurtz right and <laughs> for that no was, apparent and reason and Stephen Mock as a very good actor just ran with it okay like I'm crazy now I'm going to I mean, literally there, caper there like, are some significant issues mm-hmm. with this movie and it's dealing with PTSD and right. uh, trauma uh, it's clear that pretty much. All of the men in this movie mm-hmm. have been deeply traumatized yes. and are not dealing Including with it. Including a hero who's not dealing with the death of his wife. Right. And just very flippant, almost flippant about it when he's asked about his wife, she's dead. And that's pretty much all that we get. But I think Warwick and the exterminator are both vets. Yeah. Because that's their particular form of crazy. Yeah. The men in this town are just assholes. Yes. I don't know and... and, and Mm-hmm. They all have the sort of depth of a, I don't know, 12-year-old? They're all yeah. stunted. And, yeah, they, they, yeah. they so, play really r- mean pranks on each other. They, um, they're they f- all set to fight 
at any moment. Right. It takes very little provocation for them to start shoving each other around or cussing each other out. It's a very weird environment. And I understand what they were trying to capture. Because a lot of Stephen King's stuff seems to focus on gangs of predatory males. Yeah. And, and I think Stand By Me is a better version of that where you yeah. look into the actual childhood of people. Yeah. And then you have the other gang of predatory males. But this is kind of like this group of thugs and they resent our lead character, Mr. Hall, the most because he's a college boy. College boy? College yeah. boy. Yeah. So he's too good for them even right. though he needs a job and he gets hired and he gets paid minimum. I love the... So Warwick hires him. Yeah. Mm. After giving him the speech about how this machine is the most important mm-hmm. thing, it's the heart of the mill, if anything goes wrong with this machine, then uh, then everything else grinds to a halt. Mm-hmm. Can you handle it? Also, I can't pay more than minimum wage. Oh, I'm going to pay minimum wage to a complete stranger to operate the most important thing in the right. entire Right, I'm just world. like, <laughs> this doesn't seem... I mean, you must have zero faith in your other employees, first of all. Well, he seems to, right? But... Second, just so everyone knows what we're talking about, yeah, inflation's a thing, but in 1989, the minimum wage in the United States of America was $4.25 mm. an hour. To And, and be, be, let it be known, it is summer, everyone is sweating. Okay, so this movie reminded me <laughs> of a gag on, on Cheers, the TV show, years ago. Where the characters are sweating, uh, sitting around trying to guess what is the film where characters sweat the most. And it went back and I think it, it winds up between Cool Hand Luke and Alien. Okay. As like the film yeah, where the most number right. of people are sweating. Sweating. Uh, I don't know. This I would movie, offer the movie I just watched to Time to Kill. There's, yes, a, lot there's a lot of sweating in that movie in that as well. Um, this movie has a lot of sweating, a lot of, and, and yeah, just uncouth people. It's sweat stains in their clothes. It's just yeah, gross. So uh, we've we know here's what uh, what else mm. we know about Warwick. Well, we know he's an asshole. <laughs> we know that he's having multiple affairs. Mm-hmm. Uh, most recently with uh, Nordello. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know what her first name is. She we don't. She doesn't get a first name. Uh, she refuse. He refuses to close the mill despite this rat problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when we say rat problem, we're not kidding. There are no, a no. dozen rats in every shot of this film. Like right. they're everywhere. It's like production spot value. The thing. Lots of rats. It's bananas. And he's hired the exterminator. Oh yes, Tucker Cleveland, Brad Dorf's character, to take care of the problem. Now he's dressed like a Ghostbuster. Uh, we we are introduced to him spraying, pumping rats. Into the river, because the mill is on the river, because mm-hmm. that's how it gets the power. Uh, into the river, which sends the rats on little floaty boats. Like, they're fine, even mm-hmm. once they go through the, the pumping out of a second floor window. Uh, they go floating down to the other mills. And so the other mills are gonna are, are complaining. Right. And he, he confides in Hall... As he tells him, I went to the war, but I don't have any now, fucking this is, problems. Uh, this is uh, the, the exterminator. This is the exterminator. He has a, he's a late night meeting with... Yes. Or, oh, Hall's working graveyard shift, work, y'all. Now, there's an important <laughs> character thing here, too. He likes to get um, Pepsi cans. Oh, yeah. The, and, our protagonist uh, light is a hell of a shot with a... Uh, like a slingshot made a of... slingshot. 
Yeah. I don't know what the handle's made of, but it looks like surgical tubing. It or looks something. like surgical tubing, and, yes. And he shoots Pepsi cans. Very, Empty very, Pepsi cans. Very prominent product placement in this movie <laughs> at the Rats. At and, the Rats. And this gets this encourages Tucker Cleveland, who's like, That's a hell of a shot. Yeah. And then he starts Yeah. And he's like, I was in the war, but mm. I didn't come back like one of those people that you always see Sam Elliott play no, in the movie. Bruce Dern. Bruce Dern. Bruce Dern, not Sam Elliott. Sorry, <laughs> Sam Elliott. Uh, which Bruce was, Dern playing. Which the is movie. a really funny line. Which is specific to what? <laughs> I, I don't know. Bruce Dern played a lot of burned out veterans oh, okay. in the 70s, but I love it. It's clear that this dude is a burned out veteran. <laughs> but I but love that's the fine. fact that he's actually styled a little bit to look like Bruce Dern in one of those movies. Oh, is he? Okay. It's pretty funny. So, and he is like, they should shut down this mill. Mm-hmm. These rats are too smart, and there's too many of them for uh, us to right. work around them. Like, it, this is like a full time deal. Uh, and then there's a period of time. Uh, Wikipedia is telling me it's a period of weeks. If you told me that this whole movie took place in a week, I would believe you. I, I, I don't. I couldn't get the passage of time other than that. Uh, you can mark it by who gets fired and who goes crazy. Yeah, right. So um, at one point, oh, so they set up this thing where they're gonna go down. There's this cleaning crew. Um, and you'll get paid. We're closing the mill for a week uh, mm-hmm. for 4th of July. Uh, but uh, you can stay on because it's hourly work, right? You're not going to get paid for the time you're not here. You can stay on and be part of the cleaning crew to clean up this basement, uh, clean out the basement, and then we're going to get rid of the rats as well. And Nordello, his piece of the week, is put on the cleaning crew, and she loses her goddamn mind. Crazy person number one. Yay. What well, two? And she well, takes a bat to his no, car. No, no, it's like a. It's, I thought it was like an axe or something. I can't. I remember. don't know. She takes a thing to his vehicle and destroys it, and then he comes out, hits her once, and then almost. It looks like he's about to beat the daylights out of yeah. her, and in uh, front of everyone, it's and, like four yes, o'clock in the, the afternoon, lot, and you're right. everyone is there, and. Uh, He's hauled back to throw a punch, and Hall grabs his fist, at which point he lets her go. And we never see her again. I assume that she gets fired. And uh, that at that point, he's offered a place on the cleaning... Hall is offered a pl- place on the cleaning crew, and it's not clear whether that's a reward or a punishment. Right. <laughs> uh, I like his style, that one. Oh, my God. They want it's he's special money. Pepperidge Farms remembers <laughs> like it's Make you lose your Pepperidge Farms in there. A terrible accent. Hadn't been cleaned out since Christ was a kid. Meanwhile, yeah. we've got the other people who work at the farm or at the mill basically mm-hmm. taunting him like they're in middle school. Right. Putting a rat on a sandwich and then leaving it on his at a tray diner. at and the then, diner. Okay, the clearly to me the grossest scene in this film because they congregate this local diner. Yes. And. Uh, this is where um, John or Mr. Hall or John befriends his coworker Jane Wiskinski. Wiskonski. Wiskonski, who's like Wisconsin, a but cute lady in really high waisted pants. She and is, a bare midriff. So I'm not like sharing. She is well. First of right. all, it's a thousand goddamn degrees, right? Which is what I think. It, but I don't think there's a scene where she does not have a bare midriff. It's She's very, wearing coveralls during many it's of very her scenes. 80s, though. Like it, well, it pulled me back into that sort of 80s idea of fashion a lot. Yeah, and she is of the same mold as. Um, the love interest in Teen Wolf mm-hmm. and the love interest in Real Genius. Right. 
that's the mold she's been popped she right out. Is we're, we're sympathetic towards her because she's doing this for the money, and she's refusing to uh, cuddle up with Warwick. Yes, and he's very insistent. So, and he's he's just kind of like I think Stephen Mark does a good job of making him physically a threat. And he's the, the kind of guy who has a punching bag in his office. Well, Warwick, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. He's also bigger than right. most of these dudes. And so he's also, he, he looks, there's a a neat kind of survival of the fittest sort of comment that is being made with this movie, that he's the biggest and the strongest, and so he bullies them around, including Hall, who's obviously the smartest of this group. Right. And Hall just wants to make some money and leave. I don't right. know, I don't know why he doesn't just roll out his of fucking His motivation town. is really weird to me. I think it's like, this is his period after grieving or something. That's um, fine. There's another town down the road. Right. And another mill that's doesn't not run by this dude. Right. Like, uh, yeah, that's. He's asked when he gets there, and it's a turn of phrase that I liked. He said, "Did you come by car or by thumb?" Mm-hmm. And he said, "I came by bus." I'm like, "Well, then there's a fucking other bus to find right. Just get on and move on. One one town down, and you can find something else. This guy's a fucking trash bag. Um, but now he starts fucking Jane, so. You know, yay. Well, we don't know that. We don't know what the relationship is between what John and and Jane. They definitely sleep together. Well, they're yeah. I guess we never see it in the film. It's not like we're we're up, made to be a part of that. But she does have this sort of approach, which is though the first thing we see is Jane talking to one of her friends at the plant, who is wants to come on to John and doesn't. So Jane's approach is a little bit more. Uh, cautious, and then when right. she because like, he has a wedding ring friends. on, yeah, and so yeah, that was was kind of nice because I remember watching what was it, Maximum Overdrive, oh yeah, where within five minutes the leads meeting each other, they're instantly pulling at each other's clothes, and then the next scene, yeah, they're it's like yeah, okay, that was gross. I'm glad that this was not what happened. So uh, let me revise what I said about Nordello mm-hmm. because that night that she is fired, um, she goes back to find paperwork to out Warwick for right. being shitty in one of many manners mm-hmm. and uh she falls down the stairs into the basement and then she is eaten by a creature a creature Whoops. Right. that's why we don't see her anymore then Warwick blackmails the exterminator because he's been under Warwick's direction mm-hmm. flouting the laws of extermination and just shipping the or sending these rats right. down the river and all of these other animals are um or all these other plants are complaining. Uh, so, yeah, not only rats, but chemicals are going right, into the rat river. And rat stool, he says. That's the yeah. other thing. So there's just... It, uh, yeah, everything in this movie, I, I watched it and I wanted to wash my face afterward. I'm like, yeah. this is just And gross. then uh, the exterminator thinks that the nearby graveyard might be the nesting place of the rat. So he mm-hmm. goes to investigate that with his little dog, Moxie. She's a rat hunter. Mm-hmm. And um, then he gets that he dies. Right, he his he gets head mushed is crushed by, by sarcophagus. It yeah. looks like it's uh, the uh, the the river of uh, the river that we see in the film is running underneath the graveyard. Yeah. Now here I'd mentioned uh, when we were watching it, this seems to be there was a science fiction writer and horror writer in the 30s and 40s and 50s called exactly. Henry Cutner. Okay. And he was uh, married to C.L. Moore, who was another science fiction writer, uh, who took a uh, 
you know, a masculine pseudonym so they could write right, science right, fiction. Right. And he wrote a story called The Graveyard Rats, which is very famous about a person who's digging through a graveyard who finds it inhabited by rats and monsters. Okay. So I think that, that was... This is barred from there? Uh, well, not a barred so much as this is his homage to this older well, I'm story. I'm not saying stolen. Yeah, no, no. Not, yeah. Um, and meanwhile, we've got all the people whose names we know. Mm-hmm. Down in the basement, uh, just chucking things. Um, we've got Carmichael. Hey, is that a black man I see? It is. Hi, Carmichael. You're probably going to die, huh? Mm-hmm. Uh, and we've got Brogan, who's the over uh, overweight dunce who is quick to fight. Uh, there needs to be a name for that type, because there's one in every Stephen King story. Yeah. Just the big, dumb... Brute, who in this movie has a real fetish for fire hoses. Well, they they bring a fire hose mm-hmm. down to spray the rats. Right. Which I don't know what. I guess that kills them because at it's one a high point, powered hose. So yeah, I imagine he it says would. he sprays Carmichael, and Carmichael said, "You almost killed me." So right. uh, yeah, and let's not shoot fire hoses at black well, people he, in our films, guys. He, um, I think that was kind of the point. They were I know. Sort of let's not do that. But. Or I, let's fucking make talk about it if we do do it. Brogan is a guy who wanders around screaming like he's Rambo and shooting off this fire hose, and he keeps doing this while everyone else is trying to work. Yep. And I wonder, like... Well, he's supposed to be right. doing that. But it's just a little bit much. He's, you know... Well, he shouldn't be yelling like an idiot. Right. It's but... just <laughs> weird. Like, what is his issue? Um, he comes across as a, you know... A little short of a load, that guy. Yeah. So then he finds uh, Hall, our hero, finds a, t- a trapdoor to the <laughs> sub basement. <laughs> okay, I love that. I'm sorry, I rolled my eyes real hard. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> Hall and and uh, Jane, is it Jane? They find a trapdoor. Yes, John and Jane. John yes, and Jane. you've got it. They find a trapdoor. And then, right when they do, Warwick leaps into the frame like Tarzan or something like, what'd you find there? Did you find it all? We didn't know he was here. (laughs) Right. He's not in the rest of the scene at all. He lands in a crouch. Right. It's like Spider-Man. Right. What is he doing? It's wild. (laughs) And I'm imagining that... And he's like, well, you are going to go down there. And Hal's like, okay, but... Uh, I need I need somebody else to go with me, and you should come. It's when this be shot you. was framed, was he standing outside of camera range, and then just suddenly leaps into it? Yes. In this kind of surfboard position, it's... and they go, "What'd you find there?" It was just weird. Like, wait, what? Wait. So this entire time we've been seeing Brogan walking around, shooting hoses off, doing all these really ridiculously unsafe things, and the implication is that Warwick has been standing there the whole time watching this. Yeah, yeah, and not. And not doing a damn not thing while they're pushing each other and getting all macho, and suddenly gets excited about finding a door. It was yeah, no, very it's weird. It's wild. So let's see. So then Jane says, "Well, if you guys are going, I'm gonna go." And then Warwick forces everybody to go, and. uh Brogan is suddenly startled by a severed arm. 
I can't blame him for that. Now, whose arm is this supposed to be? Uh, I don't know. Do could know? be Nordello. Could be the first dude. Right. There's two missing dudes. Or it could be. I don't think it's the exterminators. Mm-hmm. He is dead by this point, but I don't think it's his right. arm. Right. Um. The but wait for it. Uh. And he tries to flee up the stairs, but he's fat, and so he <laughs> breaks the stairs and falls through the stairs. Trapping everyone. Through the, yes. And then through the floor? Yeah, through the floor, and he winds so up. So he's now in a sub-sub basement. He's broken the ladder, so yes. nobody can go back up. We can't get out. It, it's shut by itself, so now everyone is trapped in this, you know, journey to the center of the And he falls into an, uh, the underground river, which right. makes sense that there's water down there because, yeah, because they're right on right. the river. Uh, and this big creature enters the pool and drags Broken Under. Munch, munch, munch. And we are see we have seen it is always wet, mm-hmm. this monster. It is almost hairless. It has big teeth and gross flappy wings. It's perpetually self-lubricating through all forms of... So it, there, moist. It, it produces more forms of mucus than any creature on Earth. It is just disgusting. And then they all go into the water because they're uh, like, well, this will go to the river and then we can be out. Right. Uh, they grab onto a floating coffin to avoid drown- drowning. It's probably what was in the sarf- sarcophagus that mushed Right. <laughs> it's like, is that the same? Exterminator. Is that the same coffin that mushed uh, Brad Dourif's head? And meanwhile, Warwick, Danson, and Carmichael didn't go down. Mm-hmm. They, they flee. And are trying to find another way out. Carmichael discovers a small cavern. They go into it with the hopes of escaping. Um, he tries to get through a small hole to escape, but his arm is torn off by the creature. And he is abandoned by his white workmates because they're trash. Uh, then Danson is attacked. And Warwick rushes to help him, but he's too late. Then Warwick flees and trips and falls down several stories. Now, and this is, is this, this is when we all right. sort of end up congregated in the lair. And the lair involves the skeletons of hundreds, hundreds of people. Hundreds of human beings and animals. So many skeletons. There shouldn't be a town anymore because this thing has eaten... Everybody. Literally everyone. I, I, this is why you never see it's, much more than the restaurant and the mill. because It feels like the Goonies level right. of nonsense. Why? It is a stories high pile of bones. Some of them are animal bones, you're right, because mm-hmm. at one point I'm pretty sure <laughs> he's attacking it with the jaw of a jawbone of an axe. Yes, <laughs> or of an ass. <laughs> metaphorical there for a minute like oh my gosh he picked it up and i was like that looks like the knife from supernatural is that an ass's job yes yes it is yeah, i think it was um and at this point warwick has a severe head wound he's buried beneath a pile of bones and he's lost his goddamn mind now, earlier when there was like a, a wine cellar or something that he discovers mm. there's soot on a bottle yeah he, he smears it over his face. He smeared it over his face when they were going to go down into the cellar. Like, mm-hmm. it's gone, though. Right. That's one of the goofs is he put it on and then it's not. Maybe it washed off anymore. while he was swimming in the filthy, filthy river. Maybe. Oh, yeah, because that river had a lot of blood in it. Yes. It was so wet. Um, 
He just goes, like, this is his job now. He is nuts. He's literally running around like a loon. Yeah. He, he, he ends just, up stabbing right. Hall. Right. And trying to get away. But the creature gets him. It is, and this is when we see the but, whole thing. Well, he kills uh, Jane. Yes. He kills Jane. And it's funny, she's trying to rescue him because he's much bigger than Hall is. And, and there's a big pitched battle. It's pretty violent, really. Oh, okay, yeah. He stabs her mm-hmm. and he tries to flee. Right. And he's, I think Hall is stabbed as well. I yeah, think they're I, both pretty wounded. Yeah, they are. They're pretty wounded. And then the creature we finally see. Uh-huh. And it's. He manages to per- perforate the membrane that the creature uses as a wing so it can't take flight, although at that size... We don't know that it can fly, and I don't right. think that, and that it was, can. That was which something weird, because... Evolutionarily, why do you have wings? It makes no sense, no. because it's trapped underground, and there clearly is not enough room to fly in. Yeah. And it seems to use the wings mostly to wrap around people while it's devouring Yes. Them. Oh, and they're very wet. Like, it's just... Yeah. They look like bat wings. Mm-hmm. They're membranous. I would say. Membranous, that's a good word. <laughs> and uh, I had a membranous only jacket when I was like a teenager. He's devoured and then Hall flees and gets out. Right. The creature follows him and attacks him, but then he's he's at the he's in the same room as the beginning mm-hmm. where the cotton picker, whatever it is. It's not a cotton picker, but yes, where that is, and he turns it on using his patented Pepsi slingshot technique. He has to get a. Does he find a? Is he? Does he do it with a bone or does he find no, a full he, he Pepsi? Just, I think he does it with a full can of yeah, Pepsi. Okay, because he has to turn on a machine right. and a, an empty Pepsi can is not a lot of weight. Uh, he misses twice, but he gets it on the third try. Yes, and then its tail gets caught. In the gets caught, picker. and then the whole thing gets and caught. Hall in it. seems to lose his cotton picking mind. Well, I don't know. I mean, because he's screaming at one point, and that's how the movie ends. That's the and then well, no, the final right. shot is a sign outside the mill, right? Of which, under the now hiring sign, has now hung a thing that says "under new management," and well, that's the last thing, except I, for the weird, theme song, which the we rap will talk song, about. the weird, it's weird slash uh, slam poet poem that is the, the over the credits. So, what did you think of it? No. Okay. Mm-mm. No? Mm-mm. I do admire the production design. Mm-hmm. They did a great job. Yeah, they did. It, however, makes me never want to watch it again, because yuck. There, yeah, there's a definite... it. The story, as I remember it, had a real great atmosphere of just dirt, decay, yeah. and rot. And this film is filled with images of also, just... Also, the animal wrangler. Right. These rats, yeah. no joke... Are some of the best actors in the film. Yeah. They're very good. They can do the main accent, too, probably. I bet they can. They were not asked, so. I think that there's a a level, it's a very, I had a feeling, okay, how can I put this? We were watching Creepshow 2, right? It felt almost like student work. Yeah. This is not, this is a very slick, very well-made production. I would say it's it wasn't very well directed. That's the problem. It's like things like we mentioned they, with they, characters popping into the frame. Yeah, for they no built a and, great set and right. they didn't know what to do inside of it. Yeah. Um, once again, the women are. I mean, there's women. So it does, I think, pack 
past the Bechdel okay, test. Well, Maybe not. Well, what I like <laughs> is that there's women in it. There's different sizes and shapes of women. There are. Which I the appreciated. The secretary, uh, Warwick's secretary is a heavier woman. I, I like the fact that the women in here take action when what's her name, um, who only goes by last name, apparently. Modelo. yeah. When she is done wrong, she actually takes to his... Car. I don't know that you. But I mean, she's not. When you're assigned a, a a job that you uh, don't like, you go after your boss's car with a fire axe. Well, I think that she thought that sleeping with him of had a benefit, did. and it didn't. But at least there, she's not like a pitiful victim either. That's fine. Um, and I like the fact, as we mentioned earlier, that but she Jane, is not a stable person. No, no. So, well, no, she's one of many crazy people in this film. Um, I like the fact that Jane also is not thrown into bed with our hero at first. And you see them do genuinely affectionate things. When they're both scared, she reaches out and he holds her hand. Yeah, the handling was a nice It was handled really nicely. Like, you know, it's not like we're going to rush into this. We're going to show people who actually have a genuine feeling for each other. So I appreciate that. Um, Yeah, but some of the stuff is like a cartoon level of violence in this film. Be warned, it's really gross. The deaths in this movie involve lots it's, of crunching bones yeah, and gristle thrown into a people's... A lot of foley work. Who's the guy who has his... Is it, is it um, Carmichael who has his hand ripped off? Yes. And then spends a couple of seconds grabbing the... Oh, yeah. He, he pulls stump. his stump out right. and then he's flailing it around and pieces of it are coming pieces off. Pieces of flesh are flicking into people's faces. It's, it's a completely gratuitous, yeah. over-the-top, like... Ugh. Why did we need to see that? But there's a lot of shots like that in this film. And the monster itself, we were talking about Stranger Things not too long ago. And how the monster, unlike the monster in Alien or something else, has elements of beauty or design. The monster is just disgusting. And this is another one where the monster is just a big snot-covered rat with yeah. wings. I mean, it's not bad. It's not bad, but it's just so disgusting. Yeah. It's hard to look at. Yeah, you know. So, it, but but I, I I don't think it's particularly fun. It feels very abusive. Mm-hmm. Like I said, all of the like it's toxic masculinity. Yes. To, uh it's ramped up. Ramped up to a degree. lot. Uh, it, there are some fun moments. I think Brad Dorf is a really interesting mm-hmm. addition. But oh, you know what I did like? My favorite thing. The mill is called Bachman Mills. Oh, there you are. It's an homage, guys. It's an homage. Uh, apparently, Tom Savini was attached to direct the film in the late 18, 1980s, but was but pulled out when people were less than keen on the idea of the film in general. Apparently, yeah, you're right. I think maybe in thinking about it, it needed a sure hand, and we've run into that problem with a couple of it. Mm-hmm. We did it with. Um, Total Recall, where you saw that there were other plans to make a really more dynamic, a really more dynamic movie, or have a director who was better. You mean the Running Man? Running Man. I thought I said that. You said Total Recall. I'm sorry. I I think we should call it Total Recall. So we saw that with the Running Man, where it seemed like, or they had plans to work with a more dynamic a director who knew better how to handle that material. Yeah. And it just sort of fell through. Fell and, through. I think, and they needed more time than the studio wanted to right. give them. I think that it, this film, it had all the elements of being real. I, but I don't know how far you could go with this story, too. This story basically is kind of one note. It is. And it's a... I don't even think we needed... Like, you could have done the whole thing... 
first night on the job. You mm-hmm. don't need all this outside and people are making fun of him because he's a college guy. Like, that doesn't add anything to the story, I don't think. It doesn't, and it makes it you wonder. And, oh, because that they was end up congregating yeah. around him because he's not an idiot and he's not an asshole. And what I didn't, oh, I didn't finish mentioning before when we talked about that scene in the diner, that the absolute most gross scene in that film is when a person's digging into their chowder and pulls out a ball of rat hair that's oh, dripping I with it. It is, and that's about the level of grossness in this movie. <laughs> yeah. It's just disgusting. It's very juvenile and. Uh, mm. Yeah, it's not. It's not okay, I think fun. it had things going for it, and if it had been, there's something missing from it that keeps it from being, because it has a lot of money behind it. It's not done cheaply. It's not done poorly. It's done really competently and at times really well. But it made its money back, so mm-hmm. that's something. Right. Uh, here's the tagline. Oh no. No, it's not bad actually. Okay. I lost it. Stephen King took you to the edge with The Shining and Pet Cemetery. This time, he pushes you over. I don't hate that. Mm. It 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 could literally be the tagline for any yeah, of his movies right. that weren't The Shining and Pet yeah. Cemetery. So uh, it's pretty generic, but it's not bad. It's not bad, but it's not particularly descriptive of what this film does either. Okay, but the but the best part of the whole movie is the final the, the end credits. It's the end credits, which have yeah you called it a rap i mean it is a spoken or, word poem right, spoken word poem that's sets of like music, slam poetry and that's it's what it might be just quotes from this movie samples like sampled mm-hmm. into this i'll i'm gonna see if i can find it and i'll put it right. as our closing because i i cannot describe to you what it is it is odd and but kind of like it's pretty cool for being so weird. Yeah, this <laughs> whole film, weird. There's really nothing else to be said about it. Yeah. I, uh, it was, yeah. I I don't know. I wanted to like it more than I did, but I didn't like it very I, much. I liked, like I said, I liked the... I like it better than Creepshow, but mm-hmm. other than that, I think this might... I or really, Creepshow too, but I think this might be my second least favorite I thing. really liked it visually. Yeah. I really did. And I, I liked some of the actors. I don't think enough was gotten out of them. And as I told you, the things I mentioned before, I like the way they handle some of the things in a more mature way than some of our other films that we've seen have done. Uh, and also, unlike Creepshow 2, there's no rapists in this movie. Yeah. Well... They're sexual harassers. I can't guarantee that Warwick has not forced mm. himself on somebody at some That's point. True. But I don't have any proof of that, so... uh. And then I did like the disclaimer. No animals were harmed in any way during the making of this film. Animal handling was supervised by the SPCA. So, so this is before the official warning that you said. Yeah, I, yes. And I think that that same line was at the end of Pet Cemetery, and I okay. noticed it because it was, it was so specific. Right. Like, it was different than the current... PETA, you know, used, no animals were harmed in the making of this. The in any way makes me think that it's not um, true. I like, I'm like, do you protest too much? Maybe. I like the, uh, what was the film? In the Mouth of Madness, the John Carpenter movie, Mm -hmm. where it gives the PETA description, no animals were harmed in the making of this film, and then added a second paragraph, human casualties were very high. 
That's funny. Because, because, yeah, it's a film about the world ending, so that was a kind of a cute touch. If you stayed for the credits, you were rewarded by it, for it. That's really funny. Yeah, it's a... Uh... It's it's a movie. Mm-hmm. They made a movie. Yes, they did. So, <laughs> so next week mm-hmm. we're gonna watch something what deeply different than this one. Now for something completely different. Yes, what we are it? watching Misery. Next oh, week, uh, which I believe was nominated for Academy Awards. So, so it's yeah, yeah. We're it's, it's gonna more be more ambitious than this film was. Conversation. I don't know that that's true. Mm-hmm. Because I would argue that this movie is a harder movie than Misery to make. Oh, yes. Obviously, there's so, so many more elements going on. Because Misery is a two person mm-hmm. play. Right. For all intents and purposes. And y'all, they did a play. We'll talk about it. Lori Metcalf. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but, so that's what we're going to talk about next, next week. Before we talk about Misery next week, mm-hmm. do you have anything? you would like to recommend? I have not been out this week, aside from mountain climbing. So, unfortunately... Uh, Tell I... me an old thing. Tell me a thing that's better that's okay, about rats. so, hold on just a second. <laughs> now that you mentioned that, I'm going to mention something. But... Oh, I have a hiccup. So, do you have anything to recommend this week? I don't know. I've got to have something about that's better about rats. About rats? Yeah, you got a better rat movie? Have you seen Willard? I have not seen Willard. Okay. I cannot recommend a movie I have not seen. You watched a movie about a giant rabbit. How's Harvey? I haven't seen it. I oh, you didn't watch it. it. <laughs> I think the thing I would recommend... Uh, okay, so I have been enjoying Masterpiece Theater's adaptation, recent adaptation of Les Miserables, with Lily Collins and Dominic West, Olivia Coleman, and David Oyelowo. 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 I practiced saying his name for like a whole day once because I like it and then I didn't want to fuck it up. It's a really good adaptation. And there's some liberties taken with the source material. I haven't finished it because it is six hours long. I keep expecting there to be singing and there's no singing. I read the book. Well, I didn't read the book. I worked upstairs at a rare bookstore. I mean, excuse me, at a bookstore, youth bookstore. Um... And I was listening to it while I was working in the rare books room. And I listened to the LibriVox adaptation and went through all the chapters. There's 365. So if you're not particularly enterprising, you can just read a chapter a day and be done in a year. But it was an outstanding book, and I finished it the same day that I saw the musical version for the first time. But I like the dramatic version because they don't take as many liberties with the material. And the villains get to be villains. Well, so they have six hours to tell the story in. There are some really horrifying scenes in here. Uh, the scene where Fantine sells her hair and her front teeth. That happens in the in the musical. Yeah, it's pretty horrifying. Um, yeah, Anne Hathaway singing through it. I mean, not through it. But that I'm, would be I'm weird, trying but... to imagine what it would sound like singing with you know without front teeth. Uh, Dominic West is very good, and David. Oh, yellow. Oh, yellow. He's really good at playing Javert. And, uh, yeah. I like a, that casting as Javert. It's a really good adaptation. It is really good. I haven't finished it yet, but I'm looking forward to seeing the end of it because they've captured a lot of the scenes in the book that really appeal to me. It's real sad. I watched a little bit of it, but then I was like, they're not singing. I gotta go. 
So, do you have something to recommend? Um, I will recommend a movie that probably won't be in theaters for very long. Um, it wasn't getting very good ratings hmm. or like press, and I think that that's undeserved. And the movie is The Kitchen. Okay, so you saw this yesterday. I saw this yesterday. Okay. So this movie is about Hell's Kitchen. That's the kitchen in question. Uh, and about the takeover of the Irish mob by mob wives. Played by Melissa McCarthy, known to be a comedian. Tiffany Haddish, known to be a comedian. And Elizabeth Notmoss, known to be a Scientologist. And none of them are playing comedic. It is or not a funny movie. I can't guarantee that that's true. Okay. I'm pretty sure she's supposed to be Catholic since they're Irish. But uh, Elizabeth Moss gets the comedy that there is to get in the film. But mm. there isn't much. Uh, I might have liked this better than Widows from last year. And I did like Widows a lot. Uh I think the performances are very good because here's a here's a pro tip, everyone. Comedy is harder than drama. So if you can be a good comedian, you can do well in a drama setting. If you want to. If you don't want to, that's fine. But mm. Tiffany Haddish and Melissa McCarthy, they have both done dramatic things in the past. It's not like it's unheard of. Right. Uh, and they're both excellent in this. And Elizabeth Moss is, you know, excellent 98% of the time. I've never seen her not be excellent. I'm just throwing in a little right. bit of percentage for just in case. And uh, the story is compelling. It's also a, like a decent length. It's like an hour and 43 minutes. Mm. It's not a an epic thing. Right. Uh, we went yesterday because we wanted to not be in the heat. And air conditioning is what happens in movie theaters. Mm. So. Air conditioning. We could use some of that right now. Yes. We do not have air conditioning in our house. Uh, so I really liked it. I don't want to say too much about it because I don't want to give anything away. It's a little bit twisty. Um, but, you know, I enjoy a a crime movie. And it's a crime movie. It's not a heist movie. There is a tiny baby heist in it, but it's mostly not a heist movie. Okay. Uh, there is some... How violent is it for people in the audience? It's pretty violent. That's okay. what I was going to say. It's it's pretty violent. These are violent criminals. Mm -hmm. And it also has some unflattering stereotyping and mm. things. Because we've got the Irish mob, mm -hmm. the Italian mob, and uh, there is uh, some Hasidic... Okay. Jews portrayed in not the most flattering light. It's not it's not caricature. Okay. But nobody comes out smelling like a rose in this movie because they are all involved in crime. Right. So. No, the thing is though, see cuz this is always a, a question for me. We saw a film a number of years ago with Carrie Mulligan uh about a, a real life story about a young woman who gets mixed up with uh to art thieves who are Jewish. In this film, we need somebody to complain because they felt that just mentioning the Jewish art thieves was being anti-Semitic and it's lying into these sort of ideas about acquisitive Jewish people. Okay. Um, I could see that argument being made 
more in the context of that film uh-huh. than this one. In this film, we're talking about Hasidic Jews because of the placement of where they are in the in New York. Okay. If you're growing your criminal empire in New York out of Hell's Kitchen, right, right up the street is where, and I don't know what the name of the mm. neighborhoods are in right. in New York, but right up the street is where the um, the jewelry district okay. is, which is where the his, a lot of Hasidic Jews had businesses. And historically, I'll tell you this little piece because I didn't know. Um, they are adjacent to Hell's Kitchen, mm-hmm. but they were getting protection. They were paying protection to Italians who were located in Brooklyn mm. across a bridge. And so the Irish want to move in to work with the Hasidic Jews, mm-hmm. since they're right there, right. right? But then you're going against the Italians in Brooklyn, right? And the mob, the Italian mob in Brooklyn. Y'all, I'm not saying that all Irish people are anything, all Hasidic Jews are anything, or mm-hmm. all Italians are anything. This is a movie about criminals. Okay. So, there you go. So that is why they are in, they are in the film, because historically... Location and truth. Right. Yeah. So it's not just, we have two art thieves, let's mm. make them Jewish. Right. <laughs> it's not that. So, all right. So that's going to do it this week, I think. Questions, comments, concerns, you can email us at latecomerspod at gmail.com. You can reach us uh, on Twitter at latecomerspod. You can find us on Facebook. Uh, check out my um, little pictures that I've been doing. I'm pretty proud of them, and I like them. So, yeah, look them. Look at them. Like them. Share them. Share them. That's what I'm going to tell you to do. Share them with your friends. And we will talk to you next week when we discuss Kathy Bates and James Kahn in misery. And I remind you beforehand, take your medicines, and we remind you. Better late than never. never.